You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Tell the tackle, the tackle, and the defensive end, if he's over, if he's not, he drives down the first man who is inside. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. I'm joined alongside a good friend here, our Packers insider, Mr. Paul Brettel, and we're on a little bit of a delay, so we're going to muscle through this thing. You'll probably hear a little bit of hesitation from when I turn it over to him. But, Paul, right off the bat, man, hope you're doing well today. We've got a super chat in here that we want to hit you with real quick. And Josh Martin actually asks, can you ask Paul what he thinks it would take to trade to the second to third position referring to the draft if we're uh, if we stay in the 5 to 7 range of draft position if we did would it be for a quarterback so basically Paul what he's asking is let's say that the season ended today and we're in that 5 to 7 range what do you think it would take as far as draft capital uh trading up to get to that 2 to 3 spot and do you think there's a realistic chance that they might be in the market for a quarterback to do that You know, that's a good question, and I hope that I'm coming through somewhat clearly for you guys. I apologize. I do think it is on my end. But, you know, to answer this question, I went to the trustee trade value chart. I'm sure everyone's familiar with this. We see it during draft time, and it really got its 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 legs back in the, I believe, the late 80s, early 90s from Jimmy Johnson when he was with the Dallas Cowboys in terms of assigning a numeric value to each each draft pick. Uh, to help quantify, uh, you know, those trades that are made rather than just kind of going off that gut feeling. And they've been reworked. There's different models out there if you go on Google and search. But generally speaking, the Jimmy Johnson one has kind of held the test of time. So rather than me trying to, like I said, just kind of take a guess here, I went to this chart to get an idea of where this, what the Packers would have to give up. So if they wanted to jump, and I just used that they're at the six pick, which is where they're currently at. If they wanted to jump to pick number two, they would uh, most likely have to part with both of their second round picks this 
Jets here, the one that they currently hold and then the one that the New York Jets have in one of their third rounders this year. And if they were to jump, I would absolutely think that quarterback would be the reason why. To me, that's why you make that type of trade. Although Marvin Harrison Jr. seems to be a generational talent at the receiver position. But if I had to guess, I think that the only way the Packers make that move up is for a quarterback. I think that, and we know that they really, really value their draft picks. This is a team that's in need of more uh, high impact players, and they have five picks within the top 100 so far for 2024. So my guess is that, again, unless it's a quarterback, they would hold on to those selections, especially with this being such a rich offense of tacklers uh, currently in the moment, uh, as well as into the future as well. So two second rounders to move up from six to two, a second and a third to move up to number three. And like I said, I think they would do that for a quarterback. Otherwise, I think they'll stay where they're at. And and if I were to guess right now, I'd put my money on offensive tackle being their first round pick. Got it. Got it. And we made out most of that, Paul. It is a little choppy, but yeah, from what I understood, you said uh, the sixth overall pick and two seconds, right, to climb up into that range to get a quarterback in. And I I agree with you. I think you're probably going to stay put. That's a lot to give up, right? Now, is it a lot to give up for the guy? That's the big question, right, for an an authentic, genuine, number one quarterback, franchise quarterback, a Joe Burrow type, right, a a Patrick Mahomes type, those type of players. You know, I, I think this is one of those drafts that if there was ever a year that you would feel confident that one of those top guys, they are a franchise quarterback. Of course, we've seen Zach Wilson go that early, too, and we've seen how that panned out, but it is what it is. So good stuff there. Appreciate you breaking down that trade value chart for sure. Um, Let me ask you this, Paul. We haven't got a chance to talk since the Rasul Douglas trade. Um, You know, it seemed to catch quite a few people off guard, especially people in the locker room as well as some of the media members. And, uh, you know, take your time with the with the choppiness here. You just uh, answer as soon as you can. What do you think about the Rasul Douglas trade? Uh, maybe – how do you think the Packers came out with compensation? And the other thing, uh, do you, you know, I don't want to say, do you agree with the trade or just kind of give us an idea of what you think the Packers are trying to do here? What does this trade mean? Because to me, Paul, it kind of seems like, all right, we're, we're looking to 2025. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. Look, they're two and five. They're obviously not making the playoffs this year. This is a team that's trying to gain some sort of traction for 2024 and beyond. So I get it. They got rid of a, a, a cornerback, which is a position where they have depth. They obviously extended Jair recently. Eric Stokes has done his rookie deal. Carrington Valentine looks to be a promising player. Keyshawn Nixon, he's only here on a one-year deal, but obviously never knows what the future knows there. So it's a position of depth for them. Razul Douglas is 29 in terms of maximizing the value that they could get in return for him. Like this was it. This was that opportunity. He's been having a really good season for the most part with the Packers. So from that standpoint, and then you get another top 100 pick again for a team that's building towards the future, you clear six and a half million dollars in cap space next off season by moving on from Roswell Douglas and also create about a million dollars worth of cap space here in 2023 that if unused, and I'm sure it will be carries (laughs) over to 2024 as well. So the Packers have created almost 20 or excuse me, almost seven and a half million dollars in cap space 
from making this move. So for all those reasons, absolutely get it, you know, given where they are, what they accomplished with it and why they went through with the trade. Now, with that said, I think last week we kind of talked about, you know, the, the trade deadline or, and what to expect. Like my whole thought with it was stand pat. That was my biggest thing that they should do. They obviously shouldn't be buyers, but I didn't think they should be sellers either. And I really had three reasons for that. One is the financial reason. Like, yeah, they gained 900 some thousand from moving on from Razul in 2023. But like that, you know, in the, in the NFL world where the salary caps 235 million, like that doesn't move the needle. That doesn't, you know, yeah, it's nice to have, but it, you know, it's pennies in NFL, in the NFL world. That six and a half million that they're saving next year from moving on by, from Razul Douglas now, like that could have been recognized in the offseason. Like they could have traded him then or for whatever reason, if they wanted to release him in the offseason, like that still could have been recognized at that, that time either. So for me, there wasn't really this, this massive financial swing. Like these dollars for the most part could have been recognized now or in February, for example. The other component of it and to me, the most important is this team's worse. Like this defense is worse right now. And when objective number one is to evaluate Jordan Love, which by Brian Gudikin's own admission has been really, really difficult to do this season because of just all the chaos around him, making the team worse doesn't help. And yes, it's the defensive side of the ball. There's not this direct connection to Love. But guess what? If the defense gives up more points, the offense is trailing by more than what they've already have been. That means you can't rely on the run game. That means you become one-dimensional. You become more pass-heavy. You have to put more of the playmaking burden on Jordan Love in those predictable passing situations and on his young pass catchers. And they just they just don't have the, the consistency, the attention to detail right now to shoulder that burden. So those are really kind of the, the big reasons why. You know, my thought process beforehand was to stand pat. Oh, and one other thing I'll add, like there's a ton of developmental talent on this team already. Like they've had 24 picks the last two draft class. And I get they got a top 100 in return. There's absolutely value in that. Brian Gudikin said, if you get a third round pick, odds are you're going to have the option to choose one of the top 50 guys on your board. Absolute value in that. But this is a team with a lot of guys like that young talent upside but they need time they got to develop they need impact players right now again for the reasons mentioned to help surround love so those are kind of the three reasons why i thought standing pat was the right move and from the sounds of it that was absolutely brian gudikin's intention he said they weren't planning to buy they weren't planning to sell i guess let me take that back he said that they were you know looking around at maybe some receivers running backs take that as you will but it sounds like for the most part, they were planning to stand pat. It was that the Bills called them a few days before the trade deadline, kind of started poking around about Razul, and ultimately Goody said you know, it, it was an offer that they couldn't pass up. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'll say on this, there's we know about what Razul brings on the field. He's been like he is so good at making plays on the on the football. I think in his time here, which has spanned calendar-wise three years, but it's been roughly two-ish NFL seasons. I think he has 10 interceptions and like 16 or 17 pass breakups. And a lot of those have come in key times. He led the NFL last season in fourth quarter interceptions. Like we know what he brings on the field, but goodness, his value in the locker room. Sunday after the loss, we're in the locker room 
And there's players just walking up to Razul's locker, not just defensive guys. Dontavian Wicks was talking to him. Malik Heath was talking to him. Like in such a young locker room, he is he is a resource for those young players, uh, a leadership uh, that leadership qualities he possesses, someone that they can go to with questions. Christian Watson was his locker mate. Talked about how, you know, during practice, after practice, he would bounce ideas off of Razul. You know, when he's covering him, what did he see? Like, he's just a wealth of knowledge for that group. And you could tell talking to those guys yesterday, you know, Jair Alexander was very much in shock. Keyshawn Nixon said he was still sick to his stomach. Carrington Valentine, uh, you know, talked about being able to bounce ideas off Razul, his leadership. Like, that's missing in this locker room. And, at the end of the day, it's a business. We all know that guys come and go. It's these guys who are here in the Packers locker room to be ready to play on Sunday to try to win the game. But that is absolutely that human element and what he brings off the field. It's absolutely a component to it. And I'm not, I think we, I think you guys know this from my time, our time together on, on this show here. Like I'm not the, the, you know, dramatic individual. I tell you what I see. I make assumptions or, you know, thoughts off of what I see, some assumptions in play based off of that. But I feel like if they lose this Sunday to a Brett Ripon, at least it's trending that way, a Brett Ripon led Rams team, like with, and the things could just spiral really quickly and not that things aren't already going poorly. You know what I mean? But you just lost a key member of your locker room on a young team. He'd be on a five-game losing streak, losing at home to a, a backup quarterback. You're like, man, things I just feel like at that point could get really, really rough in Green Bay. Let's hope it doesn't get to that and that things get worked out. But, again, that's just kind of my overall thoughts on this. And that's not to say that if they lost Sunday with Razul, things still wouldn't spiral. Like, he's not the, you know, he's not the, the key that would pr- absolutely prevent that. But I think – that component coupled with everything else that has taken place would contribute to what could potentially happen moving forward if they lose. Yeah, I think that's all very well said. You know, it's like when Jason Wilde kind of kind of <laughs> held Brian Gutekunst's feet to the fire um, there in the in the press conference. You know, one of the things that Wilde said, and, and I got to give Wilde props because, you know, immediately Goody kind of re- retracted a little bit and, and said, well, we're just focused on beating the Rams Sunday. And Wilde cut him off and said, surely you can't think that you've got a better chance of beating the Rams if you let no. Russell Douglas walk, right? Such a great response. And I got to give props to Wilde. He's been on fire here lately and doing a great job. And I've, I've always liked Wilde. I listen to his show every chance I get, but I always found myself disagreeing with him the majority of the time. But I'm telling you right now, He's hit some dingers this year. He's been spot on with his predictions and the way he's kind of uh, approaching these press conferences has been really, really well done. So with that being said, um, you know, the thing that that I had to come to the realization on, Paul, when they traded Sewell, it took me really, really off guard because, yes, you free up six and a half million next year. But I'm thinking I was I was so naive to think next year we're competing. Like this is going to be that year. Let's let love get this year under and let's see what we have there. If he is the guy, put a couple pieces in place. You can bring Bakhtiari back if he's willing to restructure the same way that Aaron Jones did in a sense of he can still be the highest paid tackle and be able to trim some off of that cap. Right. And uh, with that being said, I think something like seven or eight million you could have trimmed there. A couple other moves could, could take place and you kind of come back healthier next year. 
and, you know, reload a little bit. That's not the case. To me, it really caught me off guard going, okay, when you trade Sewell, you're saying, all right, we're not even focused on winning next year. They won't say that, of course, of course, which I like how Wildy kind of held their feet to the fire on that too. Mm-hmm. But um, this this definitely seems like they're gearing up for a 2025 run for sure. I'm a, I'm a, I'm excited. I'm disappointed, Paul, as a Packer fan, but I'm also excited to kind of see, all right, how's all this going to unfold? What is the plan here, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a big locker room hit, and it's it's got to affect these players, right, Paul, from a sense of like they've got to know now, okay, they don't believe this team can win. Why do, Why should we believe we can win? Do you, do you feel that way, or do you think it's more of an individual thing with the players? Like, hey, I got to go. I got to go earn my check. I got to go do what I can to set myself up for a better future. What, how do you feel about that? If that makes sense. I mean, I think they all understand that at the end of the day, it's a business. I think you know when we spoke to them, it was roughly twenty four ish hours, if that, from when the trade had actually been announced. Um, so obviously still, especially though, you know, in the, those in the cornerback room, those that were close with Reswell still, you know, parsing through those feelings and those emotions. But, you know, I, I don't think it's going to I don't expect it or think it's going to affect, you know, the play on Sunday by any means. You know, obviously, as a unit, they don't have Rizul like that's worse. But the individual play in terms of feeling there's been some sort of message in from upstairs that they aren't ready to, you know, compete at this time. And. Look, I mean, they know they're on a was it four game losing streak now, five game losing streak. Like, yeah. they know the product that's being put out on the field right now as well. Like, this isn't uh, this shouldn't come as a shock either. That hey, <laughs> we, you know, we we probably aren't in position to make the playoffs this year. And Brian Gutekinds is in, you know, the general manager job. It, obviously, we know it's a tough one, but you know, it's that balance between where you're at now and it's his job to be a steward for the organization for future years and have that long-term outlook of where this team can go. And so that's why when originally answering the question about Razul, that's why I started with why I get it, the cap space, the draft pick, given where this team's at, like, yes, on paper, all that absolutely makes sense. The depth of cornerback, 100% get it. But that that locker room element in a team that just lacks stability right now is so young, that leadership. Like, I think this is just going to be more difficult in that component, just wiping away the off the field aspect. I think it's going to be more difficult this year versus others where you have, you know, obviously an Aaron Rodgers, but even, you know, without him, you'd still had like a, an Al Nazard, a, a Randall Cobb, you know, Devonte Adams before that, you know, you had these veteran guys in the locker room that could be that stabilizing force. And there just aren't as many of those this year because of the the route that they've gone. And one other comment I want to make is uh, I agree with your point on this isn't just a 2024, you know, kind of take a step back and then, or excuse me, 2023, take a step back, ready to go in 2024. And we have to think about that from the Packers perspective too, because obviously how poorly things are gone, there's all these questions about Matt LaFleur's future, you know, is Brian Gutekunst doing a good job? You know, what's going to happen this off season? But for all we know, you know, Mark Murphy, Goody, LaFleur, other decision makers sat down before the season and said, this is a two-year, this right. is a two-year thing we are doing. This is a two-year timeline. We are going to stay the course and operate as such. That doesn't mean, you know, position coaches might not be or might be uh, let go at the end of the year. That doesn't mean like Joe Barry is still going to be here next year. But in terms of those three or those two, I guess I should say, Mark Murphy's not going anywhere, but Gudikins in the floor. Like if this is actually a part of the plan, 
they, you know, this might be the, the, just what the part of the process is and it's not going how they want, but they're prepared to weather it is my guess rather than, because I think what would have been really concerning is if they would have been buyers, if they would have gotten a receiver, do they need one? hundred percent. You could justify them have traded for a running back. Like the running game can't get going. We don't know what Jones future holds, what Dylan futures hold. Like you could easily make the case for why they should do that. But to me, had that been done, that would have been a bit of a red flag. That would have been to me, a bit of a sign of panic. Cause if you're a GM and things aren't going well, and you're feeling the pressure from above, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to flip the script. You're like, Oh, we got to get someone in here right now. So to me, this says, you know, we're staying the course. It's not going how we want, but we're going to do what we can with the crew that we have to turn it around. And this is a two year, you know, operation or timeline that we're on to try to get back to having a, you know, at least being a, a playoff team with the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. Those are just kind of my thoughts on the situation, how it's played out, what happened at the trade deadline, all that. Got it. All very well said. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I had talked about and kind of kind of looked at too. It's like for Matt LaFleur's sake, I hope that a conversation did take place. I hope it wasn't just, hey, we're expecting to win this year and send Matt LaFleur out there with this, you know, kind of this depleted roster, and then you pack tack on the injuries, and now he's the fall guy, right? Um, but uh same time, you know, I I find myself being way more critical of Goody today than I have in the past, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of the state of the team. Um, but what do I know, right? That's what I always tell the guys on here. I'm just a dumb redneck for Tennessee, right? I, I don't run a football team. You got you got time for one more question from the uh, the crowd here? Yeah, absolutely. Can I add just one more thing to that? Like yeah, part of the the issue, and there's a litany of them, as we know, but part of the issue is Brian Gugakins and his draft classes. Like one of the reasons they're relying so heavily on youth right now is because their 2020 and 21 classes have not produced. Uh, I wrote about this at Packers Wire. There are 18 picks between those two classes, I believe. Uh, apologize. It's eight or nine that are still left on the team. And in terms of like true starters of those nine, it's four of them. It's Love, Stokes, who's been injured. Love's in his first year as a starter. John Runyon and Josh Myers, who, you know, whether you're talking to the Packers or whoever differing <laughs> views, but you could argue aren't playing up to the caliber that they should be at this time. So those are your four starters. Now you have other contributors. You have AJ Dillon, you have Josiah DeGuara, Isaiah McDuffie's a core special teams guy, but like those guys ideally have like their specific roles that they fill on the team. They aren't the guys that you lean heavily on. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, the rest of those draft classes aren't even on the team anymore. They aren't even on Packers three or they aren't even Packers three or four years into their NFL career. So if you had gotten more out of those two classes, you're able to infuse that talent into the current roster, have those type of impact players, you know, not to say that all of a sudden they're a playoff team, but how much better could this team be, you know, if, if those draft classes were better than what they were. And the point of the article that I wrote is because, you know, Given where the Packers are, many of us start looking ahead. All right, we got five draft picks. What are we going to address? We got five in the top 100. Draft picks are great. You got to develop. And right now, you know, this coaching staff and Gudikins is a chicken or the egg. Did Goody get the wrong guys? Is the coaching staff not doing enough? You know, it's it's probably both. Like in most instances, it's a combination of things. But the Packers have to develop those guys. Otherwise, you can have all the picks in the world. 
doesn't matter because on draft night, you do not draft who that player is in the moment. You draft who you think they can become. And the Packers are notorious for that. Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness, like Devontae Wyatt, they're drafting not who they are to, in that day, but who they can become. But you got to help them get there. And right now, that's a part of this equation that the Packers, they're, they're struggling with. And for a team that, you know, it's, it's shifted more, you know, as they've gone from Ted to Goody from draft and develop, that's still a key part of their, their organizational philosophy. Got to do the development part. And right now, that's, that's been up in the air. Yeah, definitely. So I want to make sure I got those numbers right, Paul. You said the 2020 and 2021 draft class, they drafted 18 players. There's only eight or nine left on the roster. Four of them are starters. That's Love, Runyon, Myers, and who was the fourth one? Uh, Stokes. Stokes, got it. Okay, got it. All right, perfect. When he's healthy, of course. Yeah. Um, good stuff, man. That's good information there because, you know, it's it, – you get caught up in the fog of war, especially when a team starts to really dip like they are, and you forget when, when who was drafted where and all that. But mm-hmm. final question for you. I know we're over on time, but I thought this was kind of neat. I think I know the answer, but I'm eager to get your take. Drew D., thank you for the super chat. He said, any chance the Packers get a quarterback in free agency? You know, obviously going into next year, you're going to have Love on one year left on his deal. You're going to have Sean Clifford three more years left on his deal. Um, do you see any chance this offseason – that they go in and, and try to get a get a free agent quarterback. I don't think so. I think they're either they're either sticking with love or they're drafting someone. To me, you would go down the free agent quarterback path if you felt that you had all the pieces or a lot of the pieces there to be at least a playoff team and hopefully more. And that free agent quarterback would be an upgrade over love. And someone that you would, I guess, be under the assumption of could help you win right away versus having to go through the the highs and lows that come with drafting a rookie, even a, even an early round pick. So I think that that's not on the table at this time. Um, as far as even a backup, they've shown this offseason that they really, really like Sean Clifford. They've spoken very highly of him. They spent the draft pick on him. He'll have a full year at that point, you know, in the offense, being in the NFL. So even from a backup perspective, I don't think that's the way to go. And just to go down one other quick tangent here, that is such a massive decision that looms. You cannot be caught in the middle of not knowing if Jordan loves the guy or not. Like the worst scenario isn't starting over. At least you have a path. You have a direction. You know, hey, we're going this way. The worst option is you don't know. You get to the end of the season, you're like, ah, maybe. Like, <laughs> right. Do we build around them? Do we do we spend a draft pick on the quarterback position? And how often do you see if they don't draft a quarterback and like, all right, maybe he's a part of that two-year timeline that I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. How many future franchise quarterbacks spend – their final season with a team on a lame duck one-year deal. Like that just doesn't happen in the NFL. Very good point. And if you're not willing at, you know, next February or March to go, all right, let's give them the extension. We just want to see how this year plays out. And you have a top five pick. Maybe that's your signal to be like, well, maybe we should take the quarterback. You know, maybe we should, especially one of those, you know, Drake May, Caleb Williams, and this is a this is a really quarterback rich draft. Two, those are the two at the top, but this is a good draft class overall at the position. So, I mean, that's that's going to be a massive decision right there. That's going to be you know organizationally you know set the tone for the next few years because if you stick with Love and get an offensive tackle with Chenid, or you get Marvin Harrison Jr., who could obviously help, 
but love doesn't end up being the guy and you missed out on Williams or may like massive, massive miss. If you go the opposite route and you get one of those guys and then you have love here, like obviously you're going with one of them. So it's just goodness. I, I just hope these next 10 games, we get some clarity one way or the other. Obviously we want things to work out. Uh, they invested all this time into love. They gave him the additional contract. We want to see him succeed, but one way or the other, we got to find some sort of direction for this Packers team to go down. And that starts with him getting some stability around him. It's been pure chaos. I don't know many, or if any, for that matter, first-year starting quarterbacks who could function in the environment that's going on around Love right now. And that isn't to say he doesn't have areas to improve upon. Of course he does. Yeah. You know, he's a part of these issues too, but goodness. You don't have a run game. Your offensive line struggling pass protection. Your receivers are dropping passes. They aren't in the right spots. Like, it's hectic right now. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I completely agree. I see mistakes by Love. I see his timing being a little off. He's a little late getting to the read, getting to the throws. But at the same time, when you're when you're talking about, okay, we need a true evaluation, look at Brett his first year, right? I mean, he had Sterling Sharp, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Look at Aaron. He had Greg Jennings, uh, Jordy Nelson, right? You had uh, – God, there was, there was a ton of them. James Jones. You had Jermichael Finley, you know, uh, I, I don't know. He came in a little later, but all these different targets that he got to kind of grow with, right? Um, yeah, it's a tough evaluation for sure. And and like you said, the I just want to know. I don't want to come out of this year going ah, maybe that would be the worst. Oh, uh, it would be horrible. And, and Michael Lombardi actually said it on the McAfee show earlier today. He said 20, 20 games is what they always use as a gauge for a young mm-hmm. quarterback. Let him get twenty games under his belt, belt, then make the true end evaluation on whether he's the guy or not. He played one. He started one game against the Chiefs, right during the the uh, the COVID toe here, and then of course you've got um, this full year. If he stays healthy, you're going to get 17 games there. So 18 games at the end of this year, we should have a pretty good gauge, mm-hmm. right? Um, but like Michael Lombardi said, a full season plus September is kind of what they always looked at when you were playing a first year starter at quarterback. So. Paul, we can't thank you enough, buddy. This conversation did not go the direction I thought it would, and I think it's I think it's for the better, man. We appreciate you uh, kind of hanging loose and uh, and going on the fly with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, this was a lot of fun. Apologize to everyone for the technical difficulties at the beginning. Looks like we got it ironed out, though. And I agree. I, I love this conversation. This was a great topic. Appreciate yeah. it, Clayton. Yeah, you always bring me back down to earth, keep me grounded, and that's what I need, man. I get a little a little hot headed, a little bit emotional with the Green Bay Packers. So we appreciate you coming on. Again, you guys can follow him um, at Paul underscore Brettle. He writes for uh, Packers Wire and Dairyland Express does awesome work over there. Paul, we appreciate you so much, buddy. Have a great night. Thanks, Clayton. Take care, guys. See you. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, that was Paul Brettel, and we'll have probably Emilio joining us here in a second. Emilio, if you can hear me, just go ahead and jump on, buddy. Let's go to the chat and kind of see what everybody's saying here. I know it was lit up during that conversation with Paul. Uh, appreciate you guys hanging out with us for sure. Let's see, we've got a, a C-Dub Irving in the house. Say, Clayton, I love your podcast, man. Listening for years, just joined the PTA Posse. Hey, man, welcome to the Posse, dude. That's awesome, absolutely awesome. We'll make sure we get your name into the drawings where we uh, we give away autograph memorabilia, which, by the way, gang, we got a shipment today. I think we got six autographed jerseys we're going to be giving away that just came in today. So uh, the uh, the wife has been shopping like crazy to get some cool memorabilia. And we got some kind of some odds and ends in there too, really cool stuff, like people from the 90s Packers, like Antonio Freeman, Dorsey Levin, some of those autographed uh, jerseys. It's going to be really, really cool giving that stuff away. Um, let's see here. Drew in the chat said Denver did beat the Chiefs, so that loss doesn't look as bad now. Yeah, I thought the same thing, right? It's like, okay, we're not that bad. But then again, you see the, you see the way this team has performed um, in each and every game for sure. Um, let's do this. As we move through the chat here, just want to make sure good stuff there. Omar said, uh, yes, subscribe in Dairyland. Uh, great articles. He's, he's absolutely phenomenal, man. Just love he's straightforward, Paul is one of the best, no doubt about it. So let's do this. Since uh, Emilio isn't on here, it's totally cool. We may be flying solo tonight. I've got a little bit of stuff to cover here, and it's, you know, I'm trying to get away from the Russell Douglas trade, but it seems like every day something else pops up about it. So we're going to kind of hit on it. I want to get your all's take in the chat. You guys, uh, you know, talk amongst yourself in there, and I'll try to pick out the chats here and and be aware. But Russell Douglas, um, as far as, um, you know, the trade itself, right, this kind of popped up some details earlier on Twitter, okay? So uh, I know I'm going to butcher her name. I think it's Alania or Elena maybe, um, Getzenberg, who I guess covers the Buffalo Bills. She tweeted this exchange out earlier or this this thread out, if you will. She said, Russell Douglas said that he found out that he was being traded somewhere in the 3 p.m. hour on Tuesday. He said that Packers GM Brian Gutekunst called him and said they were trading him, and Douglas hung up on him because he didn't believe him. Then Packers president Mark Murphy called to thank him for everything, and he realized it was real. Douglas said that he and Aaron Jones had a moment when he found out the news and cried together. He said leaving was emotional. So, you know, you heard us, some of us talk about um, did maybe Russell approach them about a trade? Maybe, you know, something happened behind the scenes there that, hey, look, I want out. I want to play for a winner, that type of thing. Obviously not the case extremely emotional, didn't want to be traded. Um, like I said, Aaron Jones finding out about it. And as a matter of fact, I'll just kind of play this right here. And, and listen, I'll be real. When I heard that he called him, that kind of bothered me because the best of my understanding, Rasul was in the building 
and Goody gave him a call after the trade was over. And the reason you know he's in the building is because Aaron Jones was still in the building that day when it happened. And here's what Aaron Jones had to say. I apologize if it's too loud. For those of you on the pod, I'm going to try to monitor it, make sure it's not too loud. But here's what Jonesy had to say in the locker room. And just another example of how it, it did kind of I – don't, I don't know if it fractured the locker room, but it definitely affected some of these guys a little heavier than others. I know Aaron Jones looked at Rasul as a you know fellow leader of the team, and they kind of leaned on each other. They said there was many times after the game they would talk, right, or after practice they would talk about, hey, here's what's working on defense, here's what's working on offense, that type of thing. But here's what Aaron Jones had to say. Rasul was uh, just talking in Buffalo and said you guys shared some tears. Um, can you describe that moment for us the other day? Oh, definitely. It was uh, a moment I've never had, uh, never had, like, really anybody that close to me get traded. Um, I was actually upstairs in the building and somebody told me, and then they're like, hey, he's down. He's downstairs on the sign if you want to like, say anything. I'm like, of course. So I came down. He was actually sitting right here on this corner. And I just saw him. He just like, I already like felt it in my heart and just kind of like, like not broke down. But we, we started talking. We, we both shed a few tears. It's just been it's been a long journey for both of us. Uh, I told him coming in, I didn't know a lot of guys in the league or even like playing against guys. I played in Conference USA, so I wasn't a lot of guys that were making it to the league. So I met Sewell um, pre like combine training. And uh, so we, we I've known him since then. We, he's seen my work ethic. I've seen his work ethic, seen the work that he's put in. Uh, he's seen the work that I've put in. He's seen uh, when I, not not when I didn't believe myself, but when I had doubts and I thought I was gonna like let down my parents, different things like that. So we just shared those moments. And, uh, and I just told him I'm, I was proud of him. Like, I was like, hey, I don't know. I, well, sorry, let me go back. I told him 2019, we were playing here against the Eagles. And uh, after the game, I told him, I was like, bro, you belong here. You, like, you need to be a Packer. You need to be a Packer. <laughs> and it came full circle. He ended up being a Packer. And then um, so I, we, I asked him, did you remember that? He was like, yeah, I, I remember that. And uh, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. And then we, uh, I just told him that I was very proud of him, just like how, uh, you know, I, don't, I was like, I don't know what, what was going on before like you know you you moving teams teams not wanting you whatever it may be i was like but when you got here you handled your business like a true pro like made a name like you already had a name but you really made a name for yourself like just proud of how you handled yourself became a true leader here and um when you got somebody who who uh on the other side of the ball knows the exact like mirror of you who like believes in the same thing uh same work ethic know what you're going to get out of them it's, it's tough losing a brother like that yeah, man, you can hear him. You can hear him fighting back tears, Emilio. And this is hilarious. I've got to hit on this. United Bates and <laughs> United Bates paid two dollars to let me know, hey, Emilio needs a new link. <laughs> I appreciate Bates, man. United Bates, man, he's he, him and my wife Mandy have contributed more to this show than anybody. I'm just telling you, right? Right. <laughs> they keep it on the rails for sure. Yeah, but, Anyway, I uh, don't mean to make a lot of Aaron Jones's comments there because obviously he was getting choked up again. And you heard him say that, you know, when he found out Rasul was in the building, which kind of makes you think, okay, the other people who are saying, well, of course they had to call him. I don't, I don't know. I don't like it, man. I don't, I don't like the fact that they called him to tell him, hey, you've been traded. Right. Especially if he's in the building. And it's just like, come on, be, be a man, call him into the office, say, hey, look, here's here's what we're doing. And, you know, other people say, well, it was a last-second thing. Yeah, it was a last-second thing, but also he said that they had been in trade talks with Buffalo all week long and they mm -hmm. didn't get the offer that they thought he was worth. And then when he 
got the third in exchange for the fifth. Now all of a sudden it's worth it. So uh, what do you think about Aaron Jones's comments there and and everything that's kind of transpired since then? Because we got a David Bakhtiari tweet I'm going to hit too, but what do you think, Emilio? Yeah, I mean, everybody loves Aaron Jones, right? So it's just you you feel what Aaron Jones feels, and and it's that Rasul is a great dude. Rasul is, you know, was a heartbeat. Um, you know, I guess we, we could say we developed him uh, from a practice squad to, to uh, you know, ADPFF. And uh, he, um, I mean, he he held that secondary together when they were falling apart. And it's, it's just the way he thinks really, um, you know, he's a smart guy. He's, he's, uh, he's, you know, quick to the punch. Everything about him is a team player. You know, you want, you want that kind of a friend and it just sucks that he had to go in that sort of way. And and my thing is, like you were saying, if, if they were in the building, how long does it run, take to run down the Concord, you know, and then scoot over and into the locker room. And they, they, when they, send everybody home on hard knocks. They do it. They bring them in and say, Hey man, you got to turn in your playbook. It's over. It's, yeah. it's tough. It is man. Mike Henry in the chat said just a good human talking about right. Aaron Jones. Absolutely. Uh, Omar agrees. Jones is awesome on and off the field. Here's the thing too. I, I wanted to ask Paul about this and I'm glad I didn't get a chance to ask him because I don't even want to entertain the thought, but if this is about 2025 guys, Aaron Jones is probably gone next year. Right. That sucks. That sucks so bad that he he doesn't get a ring, at least here. Who knows? But mm-hmm. as the career winds down, that's kind of how it ends. And it's just just feels like Goody kind of – and like Paul said, he's in Goody's eyes, he's looking out for the better of the, of the organization. But right. I'm not going to sit here and put my head in the sand and pretend like, I, oh, yep, I understand what he's doing here. Not that Paul is, not that anyone else is. I'm just saying me, I'm like, this this just doesn't seem like the right way to handle it. You could right. get the cap situation under control over the next two years and still try to put the best product out there that you can. Um, it, it just it, it just reeks of hey, look, this is a really strong quarterback class. Let's go get a franchise quarterback if love is high. So yeah, I'm not to say that's the wrong way, right? But it it seems like it's a. I, I get where Goody's coming from numerically, but emotionally and. Um, you know, vibes, it doesn't feel right. And it just hurts the way, I mean, if Aaron Jones and Rasul linked up as good humans as they both are, the fact that, um, you know, he was taken from them uh, and Aaron, I mean, yeah, he's getting, they're both going to get emotional. I mean, how long were, were he said that uh, to bring him there in 2019 when he was with the Eagles, three, four years, uh, you build a bond, you build a friendship. It's uh, that's tough. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Drew in the chat says, I get when they call for cut downs to 53 because you cut so many guys, but you trade one guy and you can't go talk to him face to face. I also don't get that. Um, let's see here. Uh, uh, let's see. Robert Allen in the chat said Jones loves the pack, but maybe somebody will use him correctly. That's a good point too. Maybe put him on a squad where he gets more than seven, eight carries a game. I don't know. Maybe um, I've never been that guy either. That's what's hilarious. Last year I would have heard somebody say that and go, come on guys. You think they really don't want to get him the ball. Right. I watched that first series, second series Sunday, and I'm going, they don't want to get him the ball. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, Dr. Mikrob says, the way Goot handled this could very well lead to more people leaving just out of anger. And I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Let me get this super chat. Josh Martin, thank you for the super chat, buddy. He said, Goot isn't good at interpersonal management style. Um, I think what you're trying to say there, yeah, and, and I don't know what that word means, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just a dumb redneck, but yeah, it, it just, he's people, 
it's like people brag that are Goody fans. Like, he's a robot. He's emotionless and this and that. And you need a certain extent to that. But you also got to understand the greatest players in the history of the game openly talk about how important the locker room is and how important it is to treat people the right way. You know, Aaron talked about it, and everybody called him a drama queen, right? Every day that goes by, I'm sorry, but you're seeing Aaron proven right a little bit more each time. Like, this was ugly. If he didn't do it face-to-face, and someone mentioned here in the chat um, that maybe he was on the road, I don't want to overlook that just because it's one that, that you know, I don't necessarily agree with. But right. um, I mean, if he was, hey, I could see that being the case. Right. But it still – it. I mean, he said that he heard it a couple days or he he was in talks with them a few days before the deadline. They had, you know, came back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, you know, it would have been it would have been nicer if he had he had come to him and say, hey, you know, this is what we're looking at. Are you all right with it? Even, you know, even even if he's not. I mean, when you're firing someone, it's face to face. Bam. You know, you're gone. Uh, It's tough doing it over the phone. Yeah, definitely. So back and thank you so much, Josh Martin, for the super chat. Back to Doctor Doctor Mikrob. Um, he said the way Goot handled this could very well lead to more people leaving just out of anger. I'm going to share the screen here, Amelia. I want you to see this real quick. David Bakhtiari tweeted earlier, and everybody's going, "Oh no, no, oh no, is right, my friends." When Bach tweets, he means he's he's got a message he's trying to send here, right? And again, whether you're a fan that that agrees with what box says or does or whatever, you know, that's cool. You can fan how you want to fan. I look at David Bakhtiari as a borderline hall of famer. If he hadn't got hurt, he would be a first ballot hall of famer. There's no doubt in my mind. You look at the way he's played the left tackle position. He's been arguably the best left tackle in the last, ever since he took over the starting role. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just been an absolute technician. You see it on tape. You see it with PFF grades. You see it with the statistics and the pressures he does not allow. You hear people like Mike Wall talk about, he's just, unbelievably off the charts with technique and just, you know, all skill level all the way around. He tweeted out. I'm sure you guys can't see it. I'm going to read it. He said, that's pretty cool to hear. Good for Leonard and the Giants GM. This is what he was referring to was this tweet right here that went out where Leonard Williams on his conversation with Joe Schoen, uh, I think I'm saying that right, and how a deal came to be. I want you to think about this. Goody calls Rasul on the phone and tells him he's been traded. Okay, after trying to work out a deal all week long with Buffalo and then listen how the Giants handled this trade of Leonard Williams to the Seahawks. Got it. Do you have a sense that it, it could be coming with sort of your name being thrown around in possible trade discussions like that? I mean, I definitely knew it was a possibility. Um, and I think, you know, the way it was proposed to me uh, through my GM and and with my agents was uh, a respectful way, I think. Um, you know, I've been traded before and it was very abruptly and I kind of had like no say or anything like that, uh, where in this situation, you know, my GM kind of came to me and, and told me that he wasn't shopping for, uh, shopping me around and, you know, but, you know, out of respect for me and, and where I'm at in my career being a little older, he was pretty much letting me know that, you know, there was a few teams, including Seattle, um, that were, um, on the winning side of of the season and, and uh, going to make a push this year. And, uh, you know, he was just like, I know you have a connection with a lot of those guys over there. So he was pretty much like, you know, let me know before four o'clock today, talk with your agents and stuff like that. So the way it happened felt a little more negotiate, uh, negotiated. And uh, I think it, it, it went well. So big difference, right? Now, again, why did I bring that up? David Bakhtiari 
quote tweeted that video and said, that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Good for Leonard and the Giants GM. Now, immediately in the comments, first comment, owned Goot. Second comment, Bach with the shot at Goot with the, the eye emoji. The next one, a little jab I see, laughing emoji. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. There's people um, picked up on the jab. That's the way I took it. Am I reading too much into it, Emilio? No, I I kind of saw it the same way. Um, unless he's genuinely happy for him, that's cool. But, you know, everybody else has had talks about how it's handled here. And, uh, I mean, it's the problem is it is it, it is a business, but it's also you're dealing with people every day. So there's emotions in people. And emotions are part of the factor that, that you know, maybe it's 5%, but at some point it needs to be factored in. Um, it's and uh, you know he's uh rasul was that hard worker like dead fish was saying in here what uh why trade away a player who's a hard worker and uh to his recollection and mine um you know doesn't get hurt uh but he got a little sidetracked you'll have that chalk talk was two hours today i was i got a little caught up in it too i didn't even get through all of it i i started listening to it and then i go all right, i gotta watch it and then i got hung I up. feel like it's going <laughs> forever <bro. laughs> Yeah, no, that's uh, all good points there. United Bates in the chat said mm -hmm. it doesn't send a good message to the rest of the team not talking to him face-to-face -face either. You know, think about this guy. And, and there's listen, there's going to be fans that pretend like when they're fired or something horrible goes wrong in their life, you know, like being let go from an organization. Or There's nothing worse than a man. I'm sure I've, I've personally never been fired, but I can only imagine having to go home to my family and say, I got fired today. Yeah, it's got to be the suckiest feeling in the world. And you got these tough guys and some that do podcasts. They're like, it's a business. Grow up. That's everyday life, this and that. And they're the same ones that if something like that happened to them, if they lost their job today, they'd be in the corner in the fetal position crying like the little babies that they are. Right. So, you know, to just sit here and try to remove all the emotion as if you're playing Madden. Um, that's what I love about the McAfee show, how he brings so many former players in and they talk about these things. They right. talk about these are real personalities, real people, real lifestyles, real family members who are getting shipped, you know, shipped up across the country to go play in another city. All those things, taking kids out of school, all that stuff. Um, so that's why I try to give it, you know, a little a little more screen time, if you will. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people would just brush over it. And I want to include every aspect. That's why it's Packers total access. I want to look at it from the organizational standpoint. I want to look at it from a salary cap. I want to look at it from the performance on the field with Chalk Talk. I also want to look at it from, you know, the idea of, okay, all of these players are actually people, right? All those things come into account for sure. Um, so Omar in the chat said he'll restructure again to help, I'm sure. I, I'm assuming he's talking about either Aaron Jones or David Bakhtiari, probably Aaron yeah. Jones. Yeah. I could see that, Omar. I could see him taking way less just to stay here and finish in Green Bay because that's just the kind of guy Aaron Jones is. But – if he's not willing to do that, it seems like that's the direction we're going is, is kind of moving on. So, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah. I mean, Mark had to call him too. Right. So, right. Rasul didn't even think it was real. Yeah. Rasul he, hung up. That's the whole reason Mark had to call. It sounds like, right. 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 So then what Mark's going to chase him down in the building. If Goot wasn't there, it's just, that's crazy, dude. But, so, so what happens if you want an extension? Do you, do you go to him or do you just call him or. Do you, do you text him and say, hey, like, I'm looking to extend, you know, a couple more years sort of thing? Like, where's where's that person to person? I mean, you know, everyone's got to answer to Matt. Matt answers to Goo, you know, Goo answers to Murphy. It all rolls downhill, but, you know, mm -hmm. who's pushing the ball? Right, right. 
Mike Hebring in the chat says, it's Gooch's job to be stone cold. Coaches need to be player coaches, uh, good cop, bad cop. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I do, Mike. Um, I disagree with the approach, but I think you're absolutely accurate right. there. Uh, right. I think yeah. that special thing – let's go back to 2010 when the Packers won the Super Bowl. I'll never forget Mike McCarthy telling the story about in the hotel lobby the night before the Super Bowl. Um, I think it was C.J. Wilson was his name, big defensive lineman could play piano. He was playing the piano and he started playing. I think it was some kind of like Christian song, if I understood correctly. And the team gathered around and started singing as he was playing the piano and the team, every team's got like a team uh, mental health doctor. I don't know the proper term, if it's psychologists or whatever it is, um, sports psychologist, maybe, but he had this, this other guy come in and speak to the team too. And it was either the team doctor or that guy. And they said, as they're sitting there singing, Mike McCarthy said that that guy nudged him, hit him with his elbow and said, you just won the damn Super Bowl. That's what he said. Because you see a team coming together. It's like nothing's going to prevent a true team from getting the job done. It's right. not, you know, it's it's kind of like the founding of this country. You know, they talk about how, you know, one soldier on the colonial side and the rebellion side and the revolution, one soldier was worth a hundred of British's men because they weren't even – you know, committed to the cause. They were there because right. they kind of had to be. Right. And you had all of these farmer soldiers just trying to create freedom for themselves and break away and, you know, practice, you know, religion the way they want to practice, not have a king tell them everything they have to do. When you've got something like that where people are kind of bonded together like that, that story the night before the Super Bowl, that stuff matters. Now, when you're stone cold, right, this is just my perspective and building business and working with a lot of people. When you're that stone cold, you remove the emotion. Guess what happens when it comes time to go above and beyond to get the job done? They're going to be stone cold, too, because there's not that factor of these people care about me. Right. right. I know there's people listening to this right now on the pod, rolling their eyes, going, who cares? I'm just telling you, man, it's important. Mm -hmm. it's important. It really is. So no, that's it. it. It definitely is. Yeah. United Bates says uh, he can be stone cold in his decision, but a man and a leader and give the respect. Absolutely. And again, they all know it's a business, right? They all know mm -hmm. it's a business. Um, you know, it, at the same time, though, like you said, that you know, if, if you want to be respected, you've got to give respect. That's right. what Aaron was saying on his way out. It's exactly what he was saying. Right. Mike Hebring said uh, 12 was and is right, right about one thing. Um, let's see here. Omar says this team is dysfunctional due to its structure. I think with no owner, this causes the gap. I disagree with that, Omer. As long as you got enough football people on that that board, real true football people that understand this type of thing. Oh, which by the way, Leroy Butler just joined that board this year, and I think that's a huge pickup for that board of directors because that's someone who knows what it is to be a champion. Was absolutely loved by his teammates. He played the game the right way. He still loves the game of football. Tries to work around it with podcasts and everything. Um, yeah, so. Jake Shavink in the chat says, David Bakhtiari, the instigator, laughing emoji. You got that right, man. Um, Mike Hebring says, 69 speaks his mind. I can respect that. I tend to do that myself. Surely not you, Mike. No right. way, man. With that grin, grinning like a possum in a dumpster. Look at yeah. that. Are you kidding me? Got on here on the pod one day showing them shoulders off. Had me had me doing shrugs that night. Yeah, you know, right here live on. <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, look at this. Jake, Jake is definitely in the instigating mood. He said, did Goot call Gary, Gary last week? Jake, uh-oh. Like <laughs> I said, what do you do? How do you, how do you get an extension worked out? If Gary's his own person, I mean, you know, he, he takes uh, 
or represents himself. So w- what does he do? Right. Carly Ray, but everybody's instigating tonight. Carly Ray said, hopefully they have good FaceTime service. Maybe that's where Razul learned it from. <laughs> Unbelievable. Drew in the chat said, how often do you think any of these players actually talk to Gutenkins? Uh, I bet literally never. It's a good point. A but good isn't point. he always on the sideline, though, shaking hands with everybody and watching everybody? He is. And check this out. I heard Wildy talk about this because he witnessed it firsthand. When we beat Chicago week one, he said that Goody was in the tunnel waiting for the players, hugged every single player that came off the field, hugged them as they went into the tunnel. That's what's Where's wild. That? Right. Where's that, Goody? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I guess I guess he shows emotionless to, to everybody, and maybe he does show some emotion inside the locker room, but it, he could have – if that's the case, it could have came out a little bit easier that, you know, Rasul got traded. He could have yeah. handled it a lot, a lot smoother. Right. I mean, Look at this right here, man. Hold up a second. Robert Allen says, Clayton, did you catch Joe Barry gaslighting Silverstein um, about the two plays that he broke down with Leroy Butler on their film breakdown? Leroy broke down that, broke down what should happen, but Barry just blew him off. I missed that. I got to go find that one, man. That too. Got to go find that one. Zane Strong just said, is this the personal request line here? Uh, If so. He just wants to get him one of these really, really quick. Where's that? I think you're right. 65%. 65. <laughs> Hope you're happy, Zane. You run the show. Uh, all right. Let's do this, man. I've got another audio. Emilio, how much time you got? You Yeah. All right, cool. I got a video from the Pat McAfee show earlier today. I want to play it for you guys. You know, one of the things that Paul Brettel was just talking about was, you know, Jordan Love and getting a good sample of, okay, what do we have at quarterback, right? He had Michael Lombardi on earlier, and Ty Schmidt, who's a Packers owner, they always laugh about it, right? Obviously a big Packer fan, Stockholm. I, I love Ty. I disagree on 99% of the stuff that Ty says, but I just love the fact that he's so passionate about the Packers. Right. He, you know, listen, that show, they'll tell you. They're, they're a bunch of nut jobs on there just having fun cutting up. I mean, it is. It's like 90% sarcasm on the show, and that's okay because you still cover sports and get a good laugh. But here is what Ty, um, Ty uh, an exchange between Ty and Michael Lombardi, okay? And, again, if you don't like Michael Lombardi, that's cool. You can change it. I completely understand. It's cool. I, I think that the guy has a wealth of knowledge. I don't I don't think he has a lick of people skills. <laughs> but this is uh, Michael Lombardi being asked a question by Ty Schmidt. It's a little bit long, but I can pause it. Emilio, so if you want to hit on anything as we go, just speak up and I'll hit pause. Here we go. Only Brian Gudikins basically said, hey, these next. Also, if you got kids in the room, I don't think there's language, but you never know with this show. So right. get the kids out of the room if you're, if you're not listening on iPod. Your mouse iPod, listen to me, on earbuds, I probably <laughs> Ten games are going to be incredibly important for Jordan Love, and, and they don't necessarily know if he's the guy moving forward. Um, at what point, you know, with you being a former GM, like, will, would he ever, put, if it doesn't work out, would he ever basically kind of face that, given everything that happened with Rodgers leaving and them kind of being – ready to go on a Super Bowl run? Like, would he ever admit any wrongdoing in that situation? And ultimately, if it doesn't work out, who do you think this uh, this selection would fall at the feet of? Is it more on him or is it more on the floor who was kind of expected to bring him along in his development and get him ready? And he just, over the last five weeks or so, he's he's looked like he's regressed quite a bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think it's everybody's fault, right? I mean, whenever you make, whenever you lose, it's everybody's fault. Everybody in, La, in Las Vegas was reasonably responsible for losing. You know, Pierce, uh, Chip, uh, Champ, Champ Kelly, all those. Everybody, you have a little hand in it, right? You've got to assume responsibility. You're here because of that. And it's the same thing with Love. Look, Love is having a hard time just throwing completed passes. You know, that's a real challenge. He's not throwing the ball with any accuracy, either short or long. The other thing is they keep giving the ball to A.J. Dillon, and they keep getting themselves. He averages 3.1 a carry. I mean, when you take Love's rushing stats out of the Green Bay rushing, they average 3.3 yards a carry. I mean, they don't can't run the ball, so they're not really getting the kid in a chance to really where he can make some plays and the game comes easy. Aaron Jones is right there, the too. Yeah. Aaron Jones is right there, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so that to me, I think he, I think Brian's right. Look, twenty games usually defines the quarterback. Seventeen, and then you know it was sixteen and four, but a season, and then in September. But so I would say twenty. But I think once he's going to know exactly what he has in the player, and then he's got to be honest with himself, right? Because the worst thing you want to do is double down on a mistake. You can't make a mistake twice. Like if you don't think he can play. If New England doesn't think Mac Jones can play, if Chicago doesn't think Fields can play, you got to make that decision. It may be unpopular, but that's the only way you're going to get better. No ownership in Green Bay, right? That's been a topic of discussion on our particular program because the Aaron Rodgers situation where it's like right. we heard what happened with Kraft and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Feels like that'd be able to handle it. Do you think Goody and LaFleur completely safe here? regardless? Because they kind of, I don't want to say kind of, I mean, Aaron... You know, kind of. Yeah. And, well, I, and the I team has gone. Murph, 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 Murph's got to gotta take some responsibility, the president. See, what he did, nobody talks about, right? He splintered the Packer fundamental organization when Ron Wolf came in there. And before Ron Wolf, it was Tom Browns. And the Packers have always have been, since Lombardi left in 69, an organization that splits the duties of the coach and the, and the general manager. When Wolf was hot, when Bratz was hired, from Atlanta back in the 80s. He was the GM, he hired Lenny Infante. They fired Bratz, they hired Ron Wolf, they gave him, he hired Mike Holmgren. That's always been the dynamic. Mike Sherman kind of messed it up a little bit for a couple of years, but then they went back to it, right? And so when Murphy became the president of the team, they changed that. He became the power broker. He became, everybody reports to me, I make the decisions, you do the draft, LaFleur, you run the team, but essentially everything comes through me. And now he's in much involved in the Aaron decision, the love decision, all that. That's collective, right? So nobody can run from it. Nobody can run from it. And they've got to make a decision like Mark Davis did. Does this Can this regime get us moving forward? And I think ultimately when you look at some of the good players they have on their team, particularly defensively, they are better. Now, they don't play to that well defensively. Wow, you know, cool. they've stuck with Joe Barry and they feel like he's the right guy. I think that's He's something not. to have a conversation about. I got so mad. You even mentioned his name. Ty just so I literally just heated in his seat because it's the same year, uh, same stuff for another new year. Well, let, let ask this question. Say Jim Schwartz was the defense. Say if they hired Jim Schwartz this offseason and put him in Green Bay. What do you think their defense would look like? Like, look, Green right, Bay has some really good players defensively. They, they're good. I mean, chuckle to Like, they're not they, – now, look, they just lost their corners. Their situation is – you know, that's harder. But you can rush. And when you can rush, you should be better. But the one thing they can't do is stop the run. They haven't been able to stop the run against good teams. Yeah, Paisan. So Mark Murphy is the president, the power broker. 
the board that would have to be the ones that would fire. I don't know how much you know the insides of that. They have like a board of all the rich people in Wisconsin, right? Yep. Powerful mm-hmm. people yeah. in Wisconsin. They are technically the Packers board, and they vote on stuff, and they make the decisions. They're running great business, by the way. Mm-hmm. The real estate right. around Lambeau, boom, and they're making like $200 million a year yeah. off of real estate. That we, we had, know about. We had to see that we, yeah, we had to see their books because they're a publicly owned team and yada, yada. They run a good business over there. They're very profitable. It is obviously a historic franchise, a lot of fans and everything like that. So they would have to vote out Mark Murphy, which would then. That but would he's be- leaving, though, Pat. He, I think he's resigned. I think he's like in his last year, right? He's in his last year. Because in my new book, Football Done Right, I made a strong case for Jack Venisi to be up on the wall. Because he was the instrument. You guys remember when I did the uh, the history segment on Jack Venisi? He's the guy who basically put the Lombardi teams together before Lombardi got there. So instrumental in the Packers. Thank you, Pat. He was instrumental in the Packers getting all those Hall of Famers, and they won't put his name up on the wall of fame for the Packers, which is an injustice. After he drafted twelve Hall of Fame players, I mean, now he, they say, well, he didn't have the general manager title. It's bull. It's really bull. He's the reason Lombardi ended up going to Green Bay. Now he died at thirty-three years old, so nobody knows about him. But Murphy now is no longer going to be the president. They're going to hire a new chairman of the board, and that guy will come in, or woman will come in and run the team. So I think he's on his way out. He's already said goodbye. So I think twenty twenty-five, whenever he turns seventy. Yeah, July 2025, when he turned 70, I guess he announced his intention to retire. So that means probably Guti and LaFleur probably, right? Tied in yeah. hip with him? Probably. So. Yeah, what? Huh? And Joe Barry? Yeah, yeah hope, hope so. <laughs> and Joe Barry. Tone has a last question for you here. We appreciate you. All right, so that was it. Um, I know it was a little bit lengthy, but I thought it was a, an interesting conversation. No, I'm not sure with Emilio, but um, what'd you t- what's your take on that? Then we'll get the Mike super chat here. No, I, I liked all that, um, and uh, and he's right there with with Murphy. It it is a weird structure, how Mike or you know how Mike was saying it too. Um, who who answers to who? Matt's got to go around Goody, but Goody still makes player decisions. But then Matt also has to deal with the players daily, and then you know Murphy's buying up buildings, and so what? How how does that? How's that all working over there? Um, <laughs> But really, every everyone is to blame for where where the team's at right now. It is not just one thing. It right. is just everyone is making mistakes, inconsistent, not efficient. Everybody from the top down. I just hope that Goody's decision isn't a mistake, a uh, you know, a, a, a inconsistent thing, getting rid of Sewell, you know. And I hope that the the decisions moving forward start um, taking that route. Definitely. So Mike's super chat basically said, we need to talk more about the Packers leadership structure. Matt doesn't answer to Goot. He answers to Murphy. So does Russ Ball needs to change. Yeah. And the, my understanding is the only say that Russ Ball has is how the contracts are structured. He's the money guy, right? He's the guy who's manipulating the cap. He's handling the cash over cap and everything. Goody says basically Goody and LaFleur and Russ Ball all answer to Murphy. Okay. So let's say LaFleur comes in and says, hey, look, this team is lacking this, right? Okay, Murphy's sitting back like the Don. Mm, okay. Well, yep. like this, that's what he was always doing. What? There you go, like the godfather. So, you know, he comes in and says, all right, here's what, here's what I need. Then Goody says, well, you know, we drafted two players there. I don't really think we need that. Again, Murphy's over going, mm-hmm. right? And then Russ Ball comes in and goes, hey, well, we can hide a little bit of cap here. We can do this, whatever. So Murphy makes the final decision, right? He is basically the owner. Right. He is Jerry Jones. That's what he is. 
So I, I'm one. I don't want an owner of the team. I love how we they're publicly owned and all that. And if you've got enough good football people in place, mm-hmm. the board of directors will do a better job than one owner, hands down, right? But we tried this little experiment, right? And it was Mark Murphy's idea to do it, to where he kind of answers all the questions from everybody, right? Um, he makes the final decision, like Mike pointed out, and someone else, you know, uh, well, Lombardi pointed out, when Ron Wolf was here, he made the final decisions. Now, when Mike Sherman, uh, they, they refused to give, basically Ron Wolf was stepping down, they refused to give the general manager to Mike Holmgren. So Mike Holmgren left for Seattle. Mike Sherman gets promoted, and then they, out of spot, Myers gave him the general manager spot as head coach as well. It completely went downhill quick. So that's how you get, uh, you know, Bob Harlan basically hired Ted Thompson to come in as the general manager after they fired Mike Sherman. Obviously, Ted Thompson handpicks Mike McCarthy, said it's time to come home, Mike. I thought that was a really cool line because he used to coach in Green Bay. Obviously, it was that structure worked. It worked, right? right? So hindsight's twenty twenty. I've always been a Mark Murphy fan. I think he's done an excellent job with the business side of the Packers. Yeah. But uh, I, I can't sit here and bury my head in the sand and go, no, this is working. Guys, this team, this is the worst the team has looked since what was the I think they said 2006 2005 so worst start since then it's a long time gang mm-hmm. that is a long it's almost that's almost two decades right? right so obviously the the main thing that changed was that shift of power Aaron Rodgers gets dealt here we sit right in the mess together but hey we're we're in it together I know that yeah oh, um, you're in it all right one more thing I want to hit on um, real quick again, Mike, thank you for the super chat. First of all, I want to highlight Carly, what she said here. This is really good. She said, in take your eye off the ball 2.0, Pat Kerwin stresses how important it is to have a, quote, football guy as the head of the organization if you want to have a competitive football team. It's absolutely huge. Now, here's the thing. Mark Murphy is a football guy. Mm-hmm. He played in the NFL, right? Then he went on to be the, the AD, I think, at uh, Northwestern, I believe. And then that's when he got the job over here. He's also got a background in law. I believe he's got a law degree as well. But nonetheless, he is technically a football guy. But him going to the the level of changing that structure, and immediately people say, well, we've had a lot of success under that structure. Now Aaron Rodgers is gone. What's it look like? Was that success really there, right? Right. And, and again, it's, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I get it. You have a Hall of Fame quarterback, then you don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback, you know. Things change tremendously. But, yeah, Carly, that's awesome. That's a that's a great point there and love that book, man. It just covers every angle mm-hmm. of pro football. It's so good, so good. All right, let's do this. Before we get ready to wrap up, a couple more things we want to hit on. Um, the Jordan Love poll that I put out yesterday, we've got the results here, okay? Let's see them. So the poll question was, how do you see Jordan Love's future in Green Bay as it sits right now? And, again, guys, this isn't to start an argument. This is simply I want to – I, I don't want to sit here and just give my opinion. There's plenty of podcasters out there that that just want to give their opinion, and that's the that's the gospel, and take it how you leave it, right? I want to keep Packer fans connected to this pod and really keep our finger on the pulse of the Green Bay fans. So here are the four options. Jordan Love, he's the guy. He is not the guy. Ask me after week 18, meaning let's give him a full year, and then the final option is he deserves two years. Okay. Now you heard Michael Lombardi. I thought I had it in that clip, but I didn't. Michael Lombardi said in that interview, you've got to give them 20 snaps. That was their golden rule, right? Well, obviously if Jordan Love plays every game this year, then he will have 18, 18 games. That's right there in that ballpark. But here's what the poll said. Leading the way 
44.4% said, ask me after week 18. So 44.4% says, let's give him a full year. That pretty much lines up with what Lombardi's saying, right? In second place, it was he deserves two years at 24.9%. Third place was he's the guy. We already know he's the guy at 16%. And then he is not the guy at 14.7%. So I know a lot of people out there on Twitter are making it sound as if there's a ton of Packers, irrational Packer fans that won't give Jordan Love a true shot. Guys, this is 1,167 votes. It's a pretty good sample size. They're saying, look, he needs at least one year. Mm -hmm. And another 24.9% believe he deserves two full years, which to me falls right into that that ballpark, Emilio, of what my buddy was saying, 20 games, right? Well, that's that's what I was thinking about uh, Lombardi there. With With it being the 20 games, you got 16 and then four. Are they more worried about the progress also after those 16 games, the entire offseason? Is that where they see a fundamental change in them? Uh, is that where they see him make big leaps is in that offseason if he's making enough steps at the end of the season? And then you just have September, those four games. Do you think that when we go and just give him the 18 this year and say, hey, um, he's the guy or he's not the guy, did we want a full offseason of him being um, you know, still that number one QB, still prepping, still doing all that and not – I mean, if he's going to be the second – you know, if he's going to come back for a second year, they're – he they definitely could pick a quarterback but man it's gonna then you're then his mind's off the rails it's it would just it feel like it would start a spiral if they're going to keep him for a second year wanting to see something else and then still you know drafting a QB yeah I know this if they organically end up in the top three in the draft and they have a quarterback that falls to them with a with a better grade bro they're taking him Mm -hmm. like you just get ready you know I talked about this earlier on Chalk Talk. I'm gonna try to get my TV on because I meant to check and see if uh, how Levis is doing. I didn't know if the TV was slowing down the stream when Paul Brettel was on here, but mm-hmm. um, the uh, the whole Will Levis thing. You know, me and Ryan were kind of talking last year when we were watching the draft, and one of the things I said was, "Just don't draft Will Levis if he falls, because this fan base will go absolutely ballistic if you ran Aaron Rodgers out of town." and you believe Jordan loves the guy, then you take a quarterback in the first round, right? So obviously they didn't take him. However, he was like the number six or number seven prospect on my draft board. I had him as a stud. And then when I I started seeing other people's take, I'm going, man, maybe I'm way off here. Then I see the 33rd team had him hands down as their best uh, quarterback in the draft. And it, it wasn't, it really wasn't that close either. Like they had him as he was their number one quarterback. We came out last week and lit it up. I'm eager to see what he's doing tonight. But uh, with that being said, though, if there's a quarterback available, Emilio, and they're in that top three, top five, wherever they draft, if they have a quarterback that has a higher grade than they had on love, they're taking that quarterback. Right. right? And that's tough. And that's where I was saying that's tough on love. He At that point, he's he's got to put up or shut up or else you're gone and they're going to try to flip him for a, a third or a fourth or a yep. fifth. If anyone wants to pay it and Goody would be at that. But again, then we fall back to when is he, when does he take that step of, you know, Hey, it didn't work. My pick didn't work out. Um, you know, he's got to go, uh, he's, yep. you know, Jace is gone. You know, we've tried tight end before. So I just hope these two don't turn into that. And I just hope that we get a couple more hits is what we really need. And just everybody to start actually playing fundamental football 
I mean, they got to start putting their foot in front of the other and start hitting the dude in front of them because yeah. no one else can do it for them. And like, I mean, like he did say in his, in his uh, presser there, they, they are professional athletes. They get paid. Everybody gets paid. It needs to just start happening. There's nothing that we could do. Coaches can do besides coaching them. They need to get on the field and do it. Definitely. Literally the first play I seen of Drew of, uh, of Will Levis, dude, shakes off a sack from a big D tackle, steps into pressure, and hits a third and 13, converts it for a first down. <laughs> so well, he's a firecracker, too, man. He's a, he's a, he's a heck of a dude. We really yeah, he throws a bunker him. shot, too. Come on now. Yeah, absolutely, dude. He was a player, too, that, you know, when I grade quarterbacks, and I don't, I don't do this for my draft board, but a, a listener actually called in and said, Who, how do you rank your quarterbacks? So I went through and watched the tape. You know, very small sample size. Try to get a feel for the four things I'm most, you know, I think are most important, which are pre-snap read, post-snap read, accuracy, and quick release. Uh, the way I had them was, uh, it was, um, God, our boy down in uh, Carolina. God, his name's escaping me right now. Alabama quarterback. Oh, Bryce Young. I had Bryce Young, right? And then I had, I think it was uh, C.J. Stroud. Yeah. Will Levis, then Anthony Richardson. That's the order I had them in. I had them all first round grades too, um, and obviously they're they all seem to be pretty good hits, other than Bryce, which Bryce is kind of in the same ballpark as Jordan. You can't get a true evaluation because that team's struggling so bad. But um, let's see. Romero in the chat says Ron Wolf had a better handle on operations than Goody, and he meshed better with Holmgren. And it was disappointing Holmgren left so soon. Completely agree with that. Mike Ebring said Ted Thompson was a football guy. Absolutely, he was. There's no doubt. That dude just oh man. What an amazing person. I love Ted Thompson. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing about Ted Thompson, after everything that happened with Brett Favre, when Brett came into Lambeau and beat him with the Vikings, Brett said, I got to say, man, the first person to reach out to me was Ted Thompson. He texted me and said, congratulations, Brett. Great game. Like, just a stand-up dude. Man, I wouldn't have yeah. been like, flush him, dude. Oh, uh, nope. Drew uh -huh. <laughs> says, remember that Murphy changed the structure to prevent over-loyalty that was occurring under McCarthy. Tell you what, I wouldn't mind having some Mike McCarthy right now. That's spread off. That's a story yeah. for another day. Mm -hmm. um, Jake Shavink said this is the worst start for the Packers since PFF was a baby. Um, very, very good point there. So it's been a while um, since they were this bad. Last thing we want to hit on, and we'll get you out of here, man. I'm glad you jumped on here, Emilio. Sorry yeah, for the no, week earlier. No worries. Um, so the last thing was a tweet um, that uh, offensive co about offensive coordinator Adam Stenovich. Okay. Um, old Steno talking about running the ball. Let's see if I could find it here. Here we go. Bang. This is interesting. Ryan Wood tweeted this out, said, Adam Stinovich on why the Packers haven't been able to get their running game on track. Quote, when you look up and it's 24 to 3, it's really hard to get any kind of running game going. End of quote. I love the first comment. Yeah. He should look up at the score right when the, when the game starts. Maybe it'll be easier when it's 0 to 0. What's crazy is when you look up and it's 24 to 3 is the comment, right? Two things. He's saying when our defense sucks, it's hard to run the ball. But right. I love how he conveniently left out the fact that, Emilio, the score was 10 to 3 at halftime. Yeah. I mean, it didn't turn, it didn't turn brutal till the middle of the fourth. Right. And so I think he just needs to go back to coaching the O line and, and getting, because we had an elite O line when he was just strictly O line coach and he could pull anyone and, and make it happen. So, if it's too much running the OC, 
have Matt be head coach and OC, and then when someone wants to try to come take him, then we promote him to OC or whatever, like how the Patriots do it. Let's do something like that, and let's get everybody back down. Everyone's, you know, equal, answer to Matt sort of thing because it's not working, man. Yeah. Um, So Robert Allen in the chat said, same interview as as the one I mentioned earlier about Myers, and that earlier mention I just clicked on says, Steno also – said his uh, improvement was in being on the same page as love and setting protection. Guess your chalk talk is misinformed, LOL. Isn't it amazing? He's talking about they've really taken a step forward in how Myers sets the protection. And then right on chalk talk, I showed you guys how he completely screwed the pooch on setting the protection. He literally identified the mic on the weak hat count side, right? And both of those guys bailed out and didn't even rush. So you had two offensive linemen standing there scratching their rear end while Love's got a guy in his face because there was three rushers off the right side. But, yeah, he's doing a good job setting the protection. I don't know if it's something he can't process or if it's it, – maybe it's just too much for him. If that's the case, then someone else needs to start setting the protection. Ideally, it'd be Jay Love, and he steps up and starts doing that because if he's making those little improvements like he's saying, one of those improvements could be setting the protection, mm-hmm. which I would have hoped that, you know, Rodgers – threw him a couple of ideas on how to do that while he was there. I mean, the couple of weeks that Rodgers has been there with Wilson, I mean, he's stepping up to do something. So I hope he took some notes when he was here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, number one Packer fan said, yes, go back to the O-line, please. Um, Paul Robertson asked a question, said, who is great on this defense? United Bates said Rashawn Gary, and I would have to agree. Rasul mm-hmm. Douglas was great, too. Oh, He was a – there it is. <laughs> yeah, top ten corner last uh, last week, and then he drip. I think he dropped down to somewhere around fifteenth. If you kind of compile all the important analytics and stats, um, so yeah, we had a great corner. We shipped him off for a the equivalent of a fourth round pick. I know everybody's going, oh, it's a third round pick. He gave up a fifth. You factor in the differential there. It's the value of a fourth round pick is what you mm-hmm. got. So, um, which that was another comment that Goody made the other day that had me scratching my head. He said, you know, when you get a top one hundred pick. Many times we're picking from our top 50 board. And I'm going, I immediately went, hold up a minute. Please tell me that, I think I've got it right here, as a matter of fact. Please tell me these guys were not in your top 50, Goody. Right. 2018, Oren Burks. He's with the Niners now. 2019, Jay Sternberger. He's not in the NFL anymore. 2020, Josiah DeGuara. Booty cheeks. 2021, Amari Rogers. Out of the NFL now. 2022, Sean Ryan. They won't even let him play. <laughs> and 2023, obviously, Tucker Craft, the, the jury's still out. If those are top 50 on your top 50 board, we might want to uh, reevaluate how we're setting that board. That's that's just an ugly look. So Right, because it was uh, – what was Goody's first draft? Was it 19 or 20? It was – I think it was actually 18. 18. Yeah, yeah 18. it was 18, yeah. Which Paul Brettel pointed this out, and I thought it was a cool statistic. Um, he said – the reason that the team is one of the reasons the team is struggling is because you had so many misses in 2020 and 2021. And of the 2020 and 2021 draft, he said, don't quote me, but he said, um, I wrote about an article. You can get the exact statistics there. He thinks there was 18 draft picks total between 2020 and 2021. Only eight or nine of those guys are left. Only four of them are starters and they are Jordan Love, who is right now grading out as the 25th best quarterback in the league. John Runyon, who has been an absolutely horrible run blocker. Josh Myers, who likes to swim in the dirt on a consistent basis. And Eric Stokes, who is still on IR because he pulled a hamstring after 
completely demolishing his leg last year. Those are the four starters you have. Right. That's just wild, man. And, and that's the reason this roster is in the shape it's in. And that's that's the only reason I'm I'm asking, I'm pointing out, why are we so sold on Goody? Like what what gives Goody this pass that he's this great GM? Mm-hmm. You know? And they, I mean, we're still working. He's, he's literally winless without Aaron Rodgers for the most part. I mean, this year you win two games, right? Before that, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs game, obviously, we lost that game. So now our record without Aaron Rodgers under the Goody era here would be what? We've won two, we've lost four, five. So he's two and five. No, two and six mm-hmm. now. Two and six. Probably why he was down there hugging everybody after that first win. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Yeah, let's see here uh, what Drew said about Pack Daddy. He said, Pack Daddy nailed it. We're picking up the scraps in the third at the bottom of our top 50 that we misevaluated. Well, that's it because our top 50 is going to be all athletic freaks and no one's going to be football IQ. And it takes it takes a little bit of knowledge to play the game. It's not like, I mean, the rule book is massive. They change it all the time. There's little trips, takes trips. That's why I took – Roger's got 18 years of knowledge. That's an encyclopedia. And we did, and we didn't even want to know what he thought about anybody we might bring in to put on the roster. It just blows my freaking mind, man. When I first heard that, that he had absolutely no say, I was going, dang, really? The same time I'm, you know, part of me is old school. Let's go shut up and play ball. But then I hear Peyton Manning and his teammates talk about how he had control. And then Tom Brady, that's the reason he left new England. You want to ask those fans how that experiment's gone? He goes straight to Tampa Bay, wins the Super Bowl, then rides off into the sunset. Loses his wife, but still rides off into the sunset. Probably shouldn't have said that, but that's a that's a a rough rough way to end it right there, man. No, no, I mean the rough way is the only other picks we had in there was uh, Josiah DeGuara in nineteen and AJ Dillon. Then Kamal Martin, he's gone. Jake Hansen, there's a there's a center, there's a blast from the past. Uh, Vernon Scott, Jonathan Garvin, he can't show up, so. It's, I mean, it, it. I mean, you're not going to hit every one of them, right? But, right, absolutely. But if if there's something that we're doing that we're only specifically looking at this area, or or we got blinders on for you know fast forties, you know, you can do a ladder quick, you can do cones fast. Then who's hitting the books with them? That's that's the other issue. Um, can we like? Um, when they brought them in, when they bring in the quarterbacks, I don't know when they used to do it on uh, ESPN or whatever. They bring in the quarterbacks. All right, watch this tape. What are you? What are your thoughts? What's your process? That's. I think we need a little bit more of that. If we are all, and no one's on the same page, that's an issue. Yeah. Um, so that all has to happen um, from the building blocks of bringing them in. How how are you going to respond? How are you going to learn? Are you tactile? Are you visual? Are you um, paper? I'll give you a paper. Make it too much sense, Emilio. Yep. If if you need that, if you need little clay guys running around on your board in front of you just to see it, visualize it, we can do that. You know, we got enough money to do that. If you want to see it from the sled hill, we can do that. But we need to get something something put together for them. Yeah, and that most of that, what you just said, probably went – but what he's talking about is everybody learns different. Some people learn through experience, having to go hands-on. Some people learn better hearing it. Some people learn better seeing it, right? There's a, a people, everybody's wired different, right? And that's why you've got you've to hit on every single aspect of that. And uh, not that specifically did Mike Wall mention, but Mike Wall just mentioned, and these guys, it's like they're not being developed. 
that that could it could be stuff as minute as that. And I know right. there's gonna be people that listen to this and roll their eyes, going, "What are these guys?" No, I'm just I'm just saying. You read you read several people skill books and what it takes to work with a team and build an organization. You start to you start to see flaws all around you in in different aspects. It's probably mm-hmm. the reason the Burger King down the street from you is completely failing. If you were to look at the books, I'm just saying so. Yeah. Um, let's see here what else we got. Mike in the chat says, "I remember when A. Rob was a rookie and the offensive back then the offense back then was just as bad or worse. Seeing Aaron getting sacked so many times." I didn't think he would finish out the season without getting hurt. I remember that year, too. Go back and watch the highlights, though. You know, when you look at it from a statistical standpoint, Mike, you go, ah, Jordan's not doing too bad. But you see some of those throws that Aaron made, and it's like, yeah, Jordan ain't making those throws right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's – uh, God, that dude was just – his 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 arm was just unbelievable, man. Still and, there, I'm sure. Yeah, well, that's it. And maybe maybe Love just needs to take the mental out of it. Maybe it's coming too fast for him. You know, Zach Wilson seeing ghosts, that could be happening to him. He's yeah. not – but but Love's the kind of guy, like he said at the – I don't know when he said it a while ago, but every time the camera pans to him, he's going to have that same face on him unless he's snapping the ball. You know, unless he gets a shotgun snap and starts wiggling his tongue, that's the only other time he's going to have a different expression on his face. Besides that, and he'll throw a pick. He's – you know he because he knows that's that's what everyone's like that's what you know the media wants to do they want to get that reaction they want to know what he's doing but besides that if if he's trying to think of all that stuff outside of that and not worried about the the 11 guys on the other side of the field and the 10 protecting him we gotta stop you know we we need to be in the game that time we need to stop worrying about what's going to happen after the game um, you know, you're going to answer questions. You're going to go on. You're, they're going to have cut ups of you. Just play the game man. go. We, we love the game because we played it when we were five running around in the back alley, um, you know, with maybe a flag. Maybe we just played tackle, shirt, skin, whatever. That's why we love this game. It's a kid's game. But sometimes it's, um, you know, it's happening too fast or they're taking it. They're not taking it serious enough at this point. You know, we got to. Turn it up, man. They're getting paid for it now. Yeah, definitely. And just to look in here, Will Levis, 8 for 11 for 97 yards. Yeah, and he's been sacked three times. That's wild. 8 for 11 for 97 yards. They probably were in 11 personnel once in a while, too. Hey, I bet that might be out there. I don't know. Uh, again, man, it's going to be a tough year, but I think we're, we're learning a lot, right? Right. Um, we're learning a lot, a lot about how this thing's structured and where the strengths are and where the weaknesses are. There's plenty of weaknesses right now. Let's hope they can get it turned around at the same time. I mean, I, it, if we hadn't traded Rasul, we'll wrap up with this. I know we went way over. If we hadn't traded Rasul, I'd be going, you know what? Fight, claw, create momentum for next year. Mark Towser talked about how bad they were his rookie year. And he said they won the last four games of the season and that carried over into the next year. Mm-hmm. that's kind of out the window now because when you start trading away your best players, you're telling the team, we don't care about momentum. Listen, guys, we, we want a third round pick and we want cap space. That's what we want. It's just, it's bad culture, man. And again, I don't think we can, this, this Adam Stenovich quote, the more I think about it, pisses me off. Like, what is What are you saying there? on why the Packers haven't been able to get the running game on track. When you look up and it's 24 to three, right? it's really hard to get any kind of running game going. You're basically saying 
when you look up and your defense sucks. And it, and it was 10 to three at halftime. The problem it's, was we should should have looked up the first five possessions before we punted, and then we would have been able to make a decision if we wanted to run the ball or something or get the game going. But again, we can't do that. We need to think outside the box. Matt needs to pull something together. Steno needs to have, have get three more sleds out on the field and start hitting them and stop messing around. But at this point, it's we can hope for a win. And then we just need to think of and see little improvements. That's what we're looking at at this point. Um, you know, footwork getting better, completing catches, making a better pass, accuracy, hitting hole shots, um, you know, hitting the T-swing if we can, run a screen right, um, anything like that. Yeah, that's, that's where we need to be. Number one Packer fan, Clay, this is the same guy who said Myers was playing the best football. I don't mean to laugh, but it's the best football of his career. Come on, man, LOL. And then, Drew, you hit the nail on the head. What what were we talking about with uh, Jair last week? Him blaming the offense, right? Basically saying, right, put me on offense, mm-hmm. right? And the other thing he said was, I guess we need to hold the other team to zero points. Drew says, offense blaming the defense and defense blaming the offense. That sounds like a culture problem. Now, what holds what fixes a culture issue in your in your locker room in your organization? Leadership. Unity, right? Mm. Hard to be unified when you're treating people like a piece of meat and a commodity in a third round pick. I'm just saying, those guys aren't. There's nobody in that locker room going, "Yeah, I want to go out there and win for Goody." That ain't happening, right? So that being cold and being you know stone cold that goes both ways. So, uh, Doctor Mikrob in the chat says. You can't you can't give all your all as a player when you have to worry about all the noise from uh, from failing to deliver. I think if Love had some sense of quote stability, he'd start to perform. I think that's a very fair comment, Doctor Meekrob. I do, buddy. Um, all right, cool. Let's uh, let's get out of here. Parting thoughts, Emilio. What you got, buddy? Uh, let's. You better say something on. positive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's. Uh, oh, here we go, Josh Martin. Thank you for the super chat, Josh. He said, uh, coaches throwing shade at each other tells you LaFleur has lost the locker room and the team, the culture is gone. Right. I would, I would love nothing more, Josh, than to disagree with you, but I think you're spot on there. I really do. Well, we're going to see it. We'll, we'll see it this weekend. How, how are they going to come out? You're at home. Everybody knows we just got rid of the best uh, secondary player on the team a guy that everyone looked to, a guy that everyone, you know, held up, supported. So how how are they going to come out? I I don't think we can come out any flatter than we have. So maybe Goody was like, all right, let's get rid of the only dude holding this glue together. And hopefully when I drop all the pieces on the, on the board tonight, everybody starts playing and, and actually going out there and doing something. But to me, I don't see that as the, uh, the best approach. Um, Yeah, definitely. And United Bates in the chat kind of sums it all up here. He says, oh, again, Josh Martin, thank you for the super chat, buddy. But United Bates says, Jire would look goofy as hell trying to run those routes. Huh? Took it down. The- I'm saying so. He also oh. wouldn't be able to wear sleeves, though, because our wide receivers uh, don't worry about the cold. They just run gloves. So. Oh, a little shot there. Shot across the bow from my man. Oh, <laughs> All right, <laughs> we're out of here. Neil, I appreciate you hopping on, buddy. Sorry we went long, but this no was worries. a conversation that was hard to end, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, 
want to thank everybody in the chat. You guys are absolutely awesome. We really appreciate you. Give a quick shout out to all the super chats. Uh, Josh Martin, Drew D, United Bates, uh, Mike Hebring. Appreciate you guys supporting the stream, man. It helps uh, helps more than you know. So thank you guys so much for your time. And again, everybody in the chat, thanks for hanging out with us. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go. The power sweep. Actually, it's the, it's the lead play in our, in our offense. Get a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley.